Are you pausing about the fact that I'm going to do the edit and so you're filled with uh, trepidation about how good it's going to no, be? No, 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 not at all. Your editing is, is really good. It's come on leaps and bounds. So that's not to say it was bad before. Cause that uh, not. I think we're the right side of satisfactory. I think we're both on the right side of satisfactory. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the PR Hub podcast. My name is Adam Tuckwell. And I'm John Wilcox. Hey folks, uh, this time around, uh, in this episode, we've got an interview with Jim Walker. He is co-founder of Three Pipes and, uh, well, now Three, Three Pipes Reply as of the end of last year. Um, we'll get onto his uh, insightful interview very, very soon. Insightful and sometimes sweary, but that's probably the three of us uh, uh, sort of being guilty of that one. Um, but first of all, we've got news on another um PR Hub podcast uh, poll. Uh, the alliteration there nearly sort of completely broke me. Yes, but go on, go on, Adam, go. Oh, really interesting one. As we enter what feels like our third year of lockdown, we're all getting very used to working from home and working remotely. Uh, so we went for a slightly more tongue-in-cheek one to really get the the serious the serious insight from our from our followers and from our listeners about what they wear at work or whether their work style has changed. And it was prompted by seeing a number of PR people wearing very smart suits and ties, which I thought was um, slightly unusual. So we asked them the question, John. So um, we're recording this on the 181st of March. Um, and the question was, uh, let's tackle a big question this week. Has lockdown and remote working changed the what comes people wear at work. I don't think that that makes sense. But <laughs> basically, but I didn't do that poll, so you can blame Tucker's. Has lockdown and remote working changed what comes people wear at work? When we talk work clothes, what first enters your mind? Uh, four options. I was dressed to impress. What's the shirt again? Seven day t-shirt rotation. Oh, smart from the waist up. Now I will say that um, you know, I know this is going to break sort of. Uh, the looking glass, the fourth wall a little bit. Well, perhaps it doesn't actually, not the fourth wall. But what it does do is is, is break through uh, the, 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 the professionalism of the podcast that I'm sure you agree uh, it, it was reaching whole new levels uh, with each and every episode in, in, in that uh, it's very meta because we've put, we posted this poll uh, just over a week ago and Adam is actually recording the podcast in his pajamas. I'm smart from the waist up, John smart from the waist up. I'm wearing uh, hard trousers at half 10 at night. As we record this, I'm still in my jeans. Um, but 39.1% um, of, uh, of, of you of respondents are with uh, Tucker's smart from the waist up. Uh, which is incredible. And I think it says a lot then that 21.7% um, uh, of people said, what's a shirt again? And seven day t-shirt rotation, which suggests to me that most people just wear a t-shirt these days. And it's probably the same. You, I, think, I think you've got to add those two together, which would be a clear winner. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I think so. Uh, and and 17.4% saying, I always dress to impress, which I think is really commendable, really. I always dress to impress. You know, who's wearing a suit? <laughs> yeah, it's not me. I know that much. Uh, but yeah, so thanks so much to everybody uh, for taking part in that. And and thanks to everybody who continues to like, subscribe and, and comment to uh, the podcast as well. We'll continue to have a really successful um, second season. Um, as we sort of hurtle along into the final straight of the uh, of the season, in fact, um, we've just got another... Oh blimey! What's eight, eight, nine episodes left of uh, of this season before for Christmas, uh, which is which is a scary prospect. Um, but there you go. Um, so thank you very much for liking, sharing, subscribing, commenting, and all that sort of jazz. Also, thank you to everybody who followed us on uh, Twitter. We, we've passed the thousand follower milestone, which is which is really exciting. Uh, John, who was our thousandth follower? Our one thousandth follow, which is very difficult to say at this time of night, was Megan Wilson at Megan W underscore PR. Um, she's a PR account manager looking for all things inspo, uh, and she's living her best PR life at Very Berry. She's based in uh, in in the wonderful quaint uh, uh, county of Essex. So uh, thank you very much, Megan, for following us. Uh, one thousandth uh, follower there, which is absolutely fantastic. We're actually now on. 1,019 followers. We're hurtling along ads. Look at that. Amazing. So thank you very much. Uh, thank, thank you, Megan. And, uh, and do enjoy your prize of being our 1,000th follower, which is prize in and of itself. 
I mean, yeah, absolutely. We don't we don't have merch yet, although we'd send you a PR Hub podcast mug, but they don't exist yet, so you can't. Anyway, um, now, without further ado, now that we've congratulated our 1,000th uh, follower, Megan, let's go on with the interview. Jim, thanks so much for, for, for joining us. Uh, I'm sure all of our listeners will be familiar with you and the work of, of 3 Pod, but they may not be completely familiar with how you've been spending your lockdown. So as we were preparing uh, for the pitch uh, for, for this evening's episode, we noticed that you were working in a slightly unusual place. Tell us about that and how you have found your, your lockdown experience. Yeah, yeah, I've... Um... Actually, when, when we when the lockdown first happened, I did think, um, you know, you go into emergency purchase mode and you buy like, I don't know, tons of porridge oats and all that sort of stuff and cleaning products and whatever. I, actually, I've got a cash and carry card, bizarrely. So <laughs> one, one of the things I most enjoy is going to the cash and carry. It's just, I, I hate shopping, but I love going to a cash and carry. So like armed up with loads and loads of stuff that we're only just getting through now. Um but yeah, one of, one of the things that um, I sort of looked at was uh, bizarrely a camper van, and I found one on um, Auto Trader, and uh, had a dodgy meeting literally with a Ali G kind of character <laughs> in a field somewhere near St Albans, and handed over a thousand pounds in cash, and uh, he came back a bit later with a camper van. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was a bit odd. I did wonder what was going to happen to me and the wife actually at the, at the time. Um, we, we, I'm not, it was a bit of a rush to say goodbye to the children, so we weren't sure we were going to get back or not. But um, yeah, it's, it's a 1984, I think, uh, Talbot motorhome with an extendable roof. And um, I drove it back and I haven't driven it since. So it's, um, it's parked outside and it's place of refuge when it all gets a bit much in our house. <laughs> and your wife was very supportive of this purchase then? It wasn't a surprise purchase by you on eBay or something? No, no, we did it together. So she's complicit in in the uh, in the purchase, and um, it's worked out really well. Actually, the Wi-Fi stretches out from our living room directly to the camper van, so it it's generally is like another I don't know another room in our house. And um, I've got to know got to know loads of neighbours that I haven't <laughs> known. Before. <laughs> Have any of them politely asked you to move it down the street, or is it no? No, I mean I had a I was on a quite an important conference call recently, and. I had a drunk tapping away at the window, um, asking how much I paid for it, which was a, a little bit distracting at the time. But um, I haven't seen him since, actually. But um, yeah, no, on the whole, it's been it's been quite exciting, and I think I'm, unfortunately, I think I'm going to be using it a lot more in the next few months as well. I think so. How's so? How's it been working agency side, being away from everybody else? How's how's that experience been for you? Um, yeah, it's been it's been tricky. I mean, it's um, it's got easier. At first, it was really hard. Then it got easier. Then I think it got hard again. You know, um, as you know, there are limitations to what you can do remotely. I mean, I do enjoy working remotely, and I've sort of been doing that quite a bit um, over the last few years, anyway. But I think everyone's been getting to the stage where they, you know, they just want to see the people they work with, and you know, have a drink and share some of the stories over the last few months and um you know we really don't like pitching over zoom particularly i think that's hard um in fact we've got we're on a training course next week about how to pitch on zoom and how to have more chemistry over someone is cashing in someone has thought creatively there haven't they crazy i mean uh, i'll let you know how it goes (laughs) i have to say it's the cheapest training we've ever invested in it's like 200 quid for about 30 people Oh god, so, that's oh, okay. terrible. <laughs> Not sure about that, Jim. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I haven't paid yet. I mean, she hasn't asked me for any money yet. So, um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll wait and see how it goes. Are you feeling more confident about that transaction than you were about the camper van, or are they about equal? Uh, no, I think I think I'm more confident about the camper van. Okay. Well, best of luck. And if whoever's delivering the training is listening to the podcast, I'm sure I'm sure it was a wonderful uh, training experience. <laughs> um, Jim, over this season, we've been speaking to quite a number of um, 
early stage. I'm trying to trying to politely say uh, slightly more youthful um, agency founders or people that are just starting out in their careers. And we've just done an episode with a number of people from the PR Week 30 Under 30. Um, you're an agency leader that's seen a lot, but for people who don't know you, can you can you briefly give us a quick rundown of your your career so far? Yeah, uh, so I started at an agency called Harvard PR, which is a technology B2B agency and working across a mix of B2B and consumer accounts. So, um, you know, I started when I was like 21, um, working on the launch of the Nintendo 64. That got John and myself very excited because John and I both worked in games PR. So um, that was, that was, uh, we were slightly envious. Um, Yeah, it was was a brilliant first account to work on. Um, But at the same time, I was also working in quite corporate SAP type businesses as well. So, it was a really quite a good grounding for four years there and um, lovely, lovely agency, lovely people. And I'm still in touch with the, the founder of that agency who um, is a sort of mentor to me, really. Um, and then I left there and I went and worked on a double-decker bus trip for a year where we shipped a, a London bus to Canada and drove it all the way to Tierra del Fuego. And that took a year and we made a 20-part TV series um, and I did all the PR and sponsorship activation while living on the bus as well. Wow. Um, which was a great sort of life experience. Um, gave me a lot of confidence about, you know, actually eventually probably starting three pipe. Um, but then I came back from that and um, I was in-house at Amazon. Uh, I was a marketing manager at Amazon as they launched, I sort of branched out of books and went into other categories like consumer electronics. Um, then I sort of freelanced a bit and uh, ended up at another agency called McLaurin, which you guys probably have never heard of, but was a really hot consumer agency. And a lot of the guys I was working with are now running the likes of the Academy and Mischief. So Greg and um, Mitch, uh, who run those agencies, I was working with them at, at that agency at the time. Um, and then I had a bit, of a, a bit of a shit experience working for an agency, which kind of was the catalyst to thinking I could do things better than myself um, and at that age I was 29 um, so I would have just made the 30 under 30 <laughs> uh, at that point and uh, started an agency with a, a colleague from the Harvard PR days called Eddie May and our first account was Umbro um, and we were launching the England kits and looking after Michael Owen and John Terry as much as you can look after John Terry <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then we, uh, yeah, I've got a funny story about John Terry, but probably another. <laughs> we'll um, take that on offline, offline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, that, that was the start of three pipe really back in 2004. So that was 16 years ago. And so you were spurred on by a, a crap working experience at an agency. And, and was it just that feeling that, that you could do it better? Was that, was that what, what came about or brought about three pipe? Yeah, I, th- I thought, um, you know, it was quite just sort of an apathetic sort of leadership of the agency, very old school, uh, had old ways of doing things, wasn't open to change. Um, and, you know, just felt that, um, you know, I brought in quite a bit of business to that agency as well. Um, and just that gave me a bit of confidence that it was time to go out and, and, and do something for ourselves. And, and you notice I haven't mentioned the name of the agency. No one will look on LinkedIn, so that's fine. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. And a three-part bigger than them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we're about four or five times the size of them. I was going to say, what 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 drove your desire to, to, to acquire other agencies and grow additional skill sets? And maybe it's just to, to have more bums on seats and make more money. But there, <laughs> maybe there's a, there's, a, there's a deeper story. Um, so you started Freepark with... Um, with Eddie, and and what was your vision for the agency? What did you want to achieve when you when you first started it? Well, I mean, it was quite. It was we actually we didn't know how to run a business, so we knew how to do PR. Um, so we surrounded ourselves and approached um, experienced people to help mentor us, and actually how to run a, a business itself, um, which was really helpful. And um, it anyway, had a simple goal of being best new PR agency at the PR Week Awards. Um, and by that, we knew what kind of metrics we needed to hit in terms of growth, client mix, you know, the kind of 
um, workplace we wanted to create. And, and yeah, we, we achieved that um, within three years. Um, and so that, that was our, so it was a vain to have a goal like that, but it created the sort of um, energy and the kind of, by, I guess, the kind of goals and the milestones we needed to hit in order to win that. Accolade. I was going to say, but uh, you know, every every company should have a goal or a, or a benchmark to set itself against. And if it's an award, it's an award. If it's if it's a certain amount of turnover within three years, so be it. But I think at least it was quite a tangible goal to sort of aim for. So yeah, yeah, and yeah, we and we did that, and that that was great. And then the the financial crisis hit. <laughs> so you know, all the momentum you'd hope would come back off you know winning an award like that. Just disappeared very quickly as we went into two thousand eight yeah. nine. So um, yeah, it was it was it was a shame really because um, I mean we, we we didn't go backwards we, we had to sort of plateau but we didn't probably kick on as much as we thought we would by winning that award because everyone was just slashing their budgets and hankering down a bit similar to today. Really. I find it interesting, Jim, that you mentioned that that you and Eddie knew how to do PR but you didn't necessarily know how to run a business. How set were you at the beginning to be a PR agency and, and how did the evolution come to take on a, a more um, rich mix of, of media types and things to, to build and develop the agency? What, what, what was the thought behind that? Yeah, yeah, we were very set on just being a really good consumer PR agency, um, which we were and are still. Um, but, you know, social started creeping a little bit more into the work we were doing at that time. Um, you know, Facebook launched in 2004 and, you know, everything changed a little bit after that. But the, the biggest um, catalyst for us deciding to go a different direction was, um, strangely, a Google algorithm update. Um, <laughs> so um, Panda and Penguin uh, updates came along and kind of changed the face of SEO and content marketing, really. Yeah. And, you know, we took a look at what was going on and felt, you know, we were really good at creative, but weren't necessarily good at understanding how to distribute that content or to measure the impact of it. Mm -hmm. And um, we, at the time, we were being asked to work more closely with other agencies in the mix to drive more efficiency around content. And one of those was an SEO or part, an SEO part of an agency that we eventually merged with, um, purely because we got to know them and could understand the bigger picture, really. Mm. And then it carried on. No, that's super. How important do you think that integrated offering for, for, for clients is now? Do you think that's uh, still a real point of difference for, for three pies? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some don't want it at all, you know, and, and in a way that's, that's, that's the problem with a lot of the people in-house running PR to some extent. Um, you know, some people are still quite siloed in their thinking um, in a world where, you know, the consumer doesn't just behave or spend time on one channel. It goes across multiple digital channels in the, in the marketing mix. And to think of just running activity in isolation in a silo doesn't, doesn't make any sense. So, you know, we, our vision was to build out an agency that um, had responsibility for running activity across more and more channels, just to necessarily kind of reflect the consumer journey, really, and then understand how to put that together from, you know, having you know, probably for you and your listeners talking about funnels now. No, that's good. We haven't really covered funnels on season two. So, right. so let's, okay. let's crack it. Well, there's, a, there's a feeling now the funnels, the funnels have disappeared and it's all a flywheel now. So I'll, <laughs> I'll stay with the funnel because it's sort of simpler. <laughs> so, you know, and this is, this is a bizarre thing. I guess from a started as a PR person and now I talk about funnels, which um, uh, is the sort of big change over the last sort of 10 years, really. But, yeah, so we do everything from the top of the funnel all the way through to the bottom. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, and that's been a, 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 the plan, really, to put those missing parts together. Um, and that's what we've done. Do you think that those silos, from an in-house point of view, obviously, as, a, as, a, as an agency guy looking uh, in from the outside, do you think those sorts of silos are changing from, from you know, your, your, your point of view? Are, are in-house practitioners um, getting it or are they still um, at the whim of the sort of um, 
the, the the ops divisions of 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 the corporates um that they that they work uh, under you know they, it's not the pr uh, or comms department sort of setting up a hierarchy they're at the whim of of the corporate hierarchy according to the company bosses right what do you think yeah yeah i mean it depends how you define pr and what your view of it is internally within the organization you know for some it's reputational or it's you know financial and it's investor relations and that's quite a simple view of it but you know we all know that actually PR has the ability to spread laterally across all sorts of channels and have great impact. And um, you know, I, I, you know, we we as an agency are working with clients across more channels than ever before. You know, so when we started, it might be we worked in PR and social, and now we're doing increasingly PR and SEO together. And that was that was the most natural move sideways, I guess, because um, you see, you see, we're seeing more and more digital PR briefs as in-house PR people come under greater scrutiny to demonstrate an impact or an ROI against the work they're doing. Um, and, you know, if I was an in-house PR person, that would be one way of growing my budget um, and responsibility within the organisation and demonstrating that I can have an impact on the reputation, but also in driving some outcomes as, and, you know, as well as just the sort of soft KPI stuff. No, that makes that makes I think that makes perfect sense. And I think that's aligned to what we've seen this this season with people um keen to embrace uh new technologies or new styles or seeing the the blending or merging between PR and, and the wider marketing division and how all of that operates together, which I think is I think is I think is really important. And I think there is this education piece that that people kind of get it um and, and understand it more now. Um what what's the makeup of your agency from a from a, a split now between then 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 PR people and, and newer media type of type of individuals? Um, so we have um, increasingly we're working in hybrid teams. Um, so it kind of depends. Yeah, some some clients want to work as just in PR, some just in SEO or paid media or analytics. Um, but increasingly, it's it's creating a sort of blended. Uh, team because you need all those different skill sets in a room to create a campaign with um, with effectiveness for a lot of our clients. Um, P- actually, interestingly, P- PR has probably sort of plateaued a bit, um, but then we, you know, we might have been a little bit guilty of uh, of encouraging some of the budget of what would have been a PR piece of work into other areas because we felt actually the brief was better responded to in a different way, and it, we we didn't. We'd interpret it in a different way, suggest slightly different channel mix. So, you know, I have lots of PR um, meetings that turn into all sorts of different things that weren't were originally a PR conversation and turn now into things like Amazon or SEO or you know paid social, organic social, or influencer. So, <clears throat> it's 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 that's what's changed over the last sort of few months or so last few years for us. But we've, at least we have the ability to take that budget and apply it in different areas. And um, I think the, the interesting thing about the PR side is that actually it's been a really good way into a lot of organisations um, at a more senior level and then allowed us to cross-sell and upsell some of the other services that we mm. offer. Um, but, yeah. Sorry. No, I think, and that's and that's really interesting. And you've been able to do that by, um, you, you've acquired a couple of other agencies, haven't you, to bring it, to bring it into the three-part family is that right in the past yeah so we, we merged with a what i call a performance marketing agency um which was um you know doing all sorts of things i didn't really understand at the time but i knew it was quite clever um <laughs> you know and um and then we acquired two other agencies so we acquired a more of a sort of pure play seo agency and then we acquired a creative agency so we kind of just carried on filling the gaps, really, in, in, in the mix of things that we felt that we needed, given the kind of scopes of work that we were creating. It's really positive to, to go away and, and to be able to do that. And to, you, you sort of talked about the fact that at the start of your three-part journey, you, you, you didn't know how to do business. And now you're acquiring other agencies and specialisms you don't understand to help your business grow. So, so how did you know? How did you you motivate yourself to do that? Is it is it just an opportunity? Did you work with other people? You talked about having a mentor before. Did, did that all come together to make that work and be a success? Um, 
I think in the early days, the mentoring was really helpful just to sort of get us on track and understand, you know, most businesses fail in the first year, right? Not because they aren't great at what they do, because they don't know how to run a business. Um, And so that that was so helpful in the early years. And I think mentoring is really positive. And, you know, I think over the sort of, yeah, over the last few years, it's been, it's, you know, I've had to upskill myself hugely in, in those different areas and be confident in what I'm talking about across the different marketing channels. And it's amazing what you can achieve just by just by being curious and reading not just PR Week, but you know, trade press and other ti- in other titles, and actually teaching yourself about some of these things. But but also, I've learned a hell of a lot from my new colleagues and being in meetings and you know you, you do pick it up very quickly and you know and also with a bit of experience you can sort of figure out where the where the opportunities are and where the natural boundaries are where you know what you know what you can achieve with a PR campaign and and you know I know, I know then I know when to bring someone else into the room if we need to deliver against yeah. something else so yeah a lot of, a lot of it's been self-taught also a huge amount learned from just having a really different mix of people in the agency. I think that point is really important, the the idea of having a mix of people and a blend of skills and a blend of experience. Um, I don't know if you've seen in the in, in the news recently, uh, Mark Reed, the CEO of WPP, has got himself into a bit of a pickle talking about age, age and experience. Um, it's, it's important to have a, a, a blend of diverse individuals within within your agency i presume that's something you you agree with of course yeah i mean like yeah you kindly suggested at the start i'm not the youngest (laughs) um, i think i did that diplomatically um, and tactfully (laughs) (laughs) i mean i guess i guess all he suggested was that you're you're old you're you're too old to not uh qualified for 30 under 30 jim uh and, and quite frankly 31 and above is a massive score there so I always find it weird that they have 30 under 30 in the UK, but 40 under 40 in the US, in the PR week US. They, they don't have 50 under 50 anymore, which is, um, I mean, that gets ridiculous, right? Um, yeah, no, a very unfortunate comment. I think, you know what, you can see what he was trying to do, you know, in terms of the point he was trying to get across, but it was, it was very badly done. Um, I, I, I think the interesting thing about digital versus some of the other, you know, you can gain a lot of experience very quickly in digital marketing. And and uh, within a few years, you, you, you can have quite a lot of seniority. And I think, and be responsible for a huge amount of budget um, in some of our teams versus the PR, which, you know, it, it's a bit of a longer process to work your way up. Um, so you, you can get there quicker in digital marketing. So although he says his average age is sort of 29, 30, you know, when we go and see a lot of our clients, they're not particularly sophisticated in some of their sort of knowledge. Um, so age age is kind of irrelevant to some extent. But, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting on the digital side that you can be 29 and literally managing a million-pound bit of business, mm. which you'd never do on the PR yeah, side. I think, that's, I think that's really interesting, that point. You talk about, um, or, or you wrote, sorry, in, in PR Week, or you were interviewed by PR Week recently, um, about the pandemic being a great time to, to start your own thing. Um, so it could be an accelerator for you if you want to go out and, uh, and start your own agency. And there has been a flurry of quite interesting agencies coming coming about. Um, lots of people leaving their, their, their safe and secure jobs to, to start an agency and try something new. What is it about this pandemic that, that might make it appropriate for people to go and, and, and do their own thing? And if they are doing that, how important is it for them to offer something that's 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 different and, and unique from everything else that's out there on the market? Well, interesting you said safe and secure because I, I wouldn't necessarily agree, agree with them. You know, so I know some really good people that have lost their jobs in the last sort of six weeks um, and have been terribly treated by agency owners or mm. principals. Um, and I'll be careful what I say next, but um, yeah, so so. I, 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 you know, I think the last thing anyone should do is just start another, just another PR agency, you know, doing the same sort of shit that everyone else does because there's too many of them anyway. And and, and that's the point I, I was making, you know, I could, 
you know, I could put, I could give you 10 agencies that I think are really good at consumer PR. And most of the times they'll feature on the short list of tenders. But what, what is the real difference between them all, especially when they all move from one to another every two or three years? And I don't think the culture is that different from one to another, that they're extraordinarily different or a different approach to what they do. So I think it's a huge opportunity. I mean, I would never just start a consumer PR agency again. I can't think of any worse. I mean, what, what, what is your point of difference? And also, you know, it doesn't reflect the new, the new market. I mean, you, I believe that to create really effective work, you need a wider skill base than just having a bunch of PR people mm-hmm. in the room. I think you need that diversity of thinking and skills to create the kind of campaigns that are really effective now. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, the, the, you know, before before COVID and during COVID, there's been a huge amount of new trends. And, like, you know, the whole Bain thing is really interesting. You know, I've seen a lot of agencies start up just, just to be working on Bain kind of stuff or in, improving diversity or th- diversity of thinking of brands. And I think that's a really sort of interesting area. The whole purpose thing, I've always been a little bit suspicious about purpose um, in the sense that I don't think brands really invest in it as much as they talk about it. Um, Brands do and, love talking about purpose. Whether they they yeah. you know deliver on that is another thing entirely. But you're quite right. The second thing, and I think I think that's um, that's 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 why I'm suspicious suspicious of it. It's a bit like um, they believe in reputation, but only when the shit hits mm. the fan. And if you're all just about. I see so many agents talking about storytelling and reputation. It's just like, I just don't believe agencies really, sorry, clients really believe in it until something goes wrong. And that's when they want mm. it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, clients would agree. So we won't talk, we won't talk about um, agencies that have treated people um, badly, um, but, but how- we could, we could. <laughs> we could. I mean, I'm we could. I'm sensing I'm sensing you're not going to name, so that's fine. Um, but um, <laughs> what, what if if there's a good market or an opportunity for people to to, to go afresh? Do you think that actually there's going to be a growth of people going going freelance? Then do you think there's going to be lots of these practitioners who have been um, sadly made redundant as a as an approach to this, thinking, well, actually now's the time to do something different or or approach things differently join join collectives perhaps rather than uh join another traditional agency yeah i do and i think um it's a massive opportunity for freelancers to to um take away some work from agencies that have you know the overheads and the 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 offices that no one else no one else is ever going to see anymore um and how and I think brands are more open-minded, or you know, people are more open-minded now about who they work with than than previously. You know, I think I think the days of having that agency on your list because they are that agency are, are, are gone. It's more about the people and, and the skill set they have and the contribution they make. And you know, some of the best agencies often have the worst people. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's I think that's interesting. But having having the right people is obviously a thing that you've nurtured at uh, Three Pipe. So there's a there's a lovely testimonial on your website that just says uh, those guys are fucking great, which I thought was nice from Anstream Arcade. <laughs> what is it about Three Pipe that's that's um, made it so special, and how have you nurtured that? You know, we, we we mentioned the word culture earlier. How have you how have you built a culture within the agency as it is now? And um, how's the recent investment that you've had in the agency changed that or empowered it to continue to grow and develop? Yeah. I mean, I actually, we, you know, we've been on a journey over the last few years and actually we've taken clients on that journey with us. Um, And and that's been quite an exciting thing for a lot of clients that, you know, we've got a lot of clients that have been with us for a long period of time that, um, feel that actually we're, we're always coming to them with something mm-hmm. new, um, whether it's because of the agencies we've acquired or <clears throat> we're willing to try and sort of test new things. Um, and I think that that is that's kind of the the sort of 
the heartbeat really of the agency is that whole it's, it's about testing methodologies like let's test something and see if it works and if it works we'll carry on and do more and more of it but don't commit all your budget to one thing let's let's try and carve out some some of the budget to do something a bit different mm-hmm. um, or work with a new supplier or think about a new way of doing things and I think that freshness and innovation comes from all the the four founders of the business that are still within the business that you know quite easily bored as well and, <laughs> and actually you want to keep trying to do new things you know I can't I I can't imagine what my life would be like if I was just still working in a consumer PR agency after 20 years it would just be shit because actually you know, a lot of the stuff I see is the same stuff I was working on back in 1996, quite frankly, in terms of some of the campaigns and some of the work. And so, you know, we keep things fresh. And I think that, that's been really important. And that's why Adstream Arcade fucking loves it. Which is great. I mean, what, 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 <laughs> um, so um, towards the end of last year, uh, obviously Three Pipe uh, was sold to um, Reply. Um how I mean to the point now. I think you're even referred to, uh, you know, the company is Three Pipe Reply. Um, how has that uh, transition gone? Um, how has that opened you up to uh, new uh, environments and uh, and and new horizons? No, no, it's great. I think I think you know we we were looking to take that next step up, really. Um, and and you know these these were guys that we actually didn't know too much about before. Um, but we, we got to know them over a period of about 12 months. And, you know, they, they've got very limited profile in the UK, um, uh, but they're very well known in Italy and across Europe. And they work for some serious brands. You know, they, they, you know, they work for the likes of Vodafone and Aldi and, you know, um, more I should know of. <laughs> hey, they're two great brands, so to be fair, you know. Yeah, no, but they're a serious grown-ups doing really cool, innovative technology. I mean, they're kind of like um, a Deloitte or Accenture. Um, and, you know, you know how active they've been in this market um, in terms of breaking out their consulting model and into more sort of media buying and, and creative. And, you know, and that's kind of how they saw us, really. So, you know, we were the first marketing services agency that they acquired in the U.K., um, because everything else is a bit more sort of, you know, they've got teams that work in AI and blockchain and all that sort of stuff, which actually has been absolutely fascinating. And now we're starting to, you know, work more closely with those guys in, into those some of those bigger organisations, um, which, you know, for us professionally is, is, is the next stage of our own development to sort of grow up a little bit, um, but also at the same time be surrounded by really smart, people that have got a real grip on some of this whole digital transformation stuff that now because of covid everyone is trying to do and pivot their own business to be more direct consumer or more e-commerce focused so you know they've they've had a really good you know six months where um i mean their business is the business of digital transformation and that's what everyone wants and needs right now so it's it's been a really exciting journey um, uh, and you know, like all Italians, they've been away for most of August. So um, <laughs> sort of picking up on the first September, first of September, <laughs> I'm going to go away next August. There's no well, I was going to say go away for September, and then you just have two months without worrying about it. It'll be. Yeah. Well, you know, we have joked about that, but no, we, no, we wouldn't do that. But um, yeah, no, it's um, no, it's it's, and you know, I think we felt we were ready for it as well. Um, because of, you know we've we've been through a lot over the last sort of six eight years we haven't been standing still and it was a natural progression for us and we were getting quite a lot of interest from people approaching us and so we decided to formalize the process and appoint a broker and go out and see who else was out there and if we hadn't done that we would never have met these guys um, and you know they they they're entrepreneurial as well they're run by a brother and sister. Um, and they have a long-term view on things. They haven't panicked over the last six months, like a lot of other organisations have panicked. You know, they, they've been very helpful and, um, you know, they've been a great great organisation to be a part of because of what's happened over the last six months. 
That's really useful to hear. If there are if there are agencies who listen to the show who are thinking about their exit strategy, you talk about how you um, went about that process and and you you were being approached and so you went and sought a, a broker. What advice would you have for people who are who are thinking that well maybe not now is the time because I'm imagining now is not the time to um, to to. to to, to seek investment. Um, but what advice would you have for people who are, who, who have an exit plan and are keen to try and try and work that through over the next sort of 12 months or 24 months? Yeah. I mean, I th- I'd say, you know, be prepared because it does take a long time and um, you know, uh, you might think your business is in good shape, but um, there might be some things you need to work on um, to get you ready to go to market. If you see what I mean? Uh, you know, we, we spent a lot of time developing our own technology, a lot of our own IP over the last sort of 24 months, which um, gave us a real clear sort of uh, differentiation uh, against other agencies in the market. And, um, you know, we have, we've got four or five full-time developers that are creating really smart bits of technology that we're using day-to-day across the PR team and the SA team, hey media teams, uh, working exclusively for us. And, you know, I think we... We working with a broker, we we I guess we fleshed out that narrative a little bit more, and it was quite a collaborative thing to get us into a into the right stage or state where we could go out and be a bit more proactive. And you know that took a while. So if you, even if you're thinking it's like two years away, it's kind of like a two year plan to get yourself into that. It's like the Olympics, right? You know, athletes comes along every four years, but they don't just think, oh. Right, okay, I've got the Olympics next month. I must sort of figure out how I'm going to win. Find those trainers. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it, it's it's a, it's a 24 month plan, I think. Unless you get extremely lucky and you've got a really hot business and 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 you've got offers coming in left, right, and centre. Yeah, but you know, we we there were areas and gaps we had to work on, and, and that's what we did with these guys. So that's interesting from a seeking investment uh, standpoint. Um, do you think now is a good time for businesses who might be missing a part of their offering? So it might be that they're a relatively strong integrated shop, but they don't have experience in SEO or, or, or digital marketing or, or elements like that. It is now a good time, do you think, from your newly acquired business hat um, to, to go out and acquire agencies who, who might be particularly vulnerable off the back of COVID? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a brilliant time. And, you know, I find myself on this email I get every Sunday morning with a list of agencies looking to do these kind of things, you know, whether it's the, to be part of a bigger group or it's a, a larger agency looking to build out a social team or a paid team or an, an SEO team. Um, you know, you think you can, not only can you drive much more efficiency um, in terms of stripping out a lot of the back office side of things and, and being more profitable, but also at the same time, you can widen your own service offering and and you know one of the reasons why we have grown is that we're often we offer more channels to clients um so they they pay and they invest more in, into each of those channels rather than spending it with another agency um, so you know we, we get into the stage where we say okay here's your pot of money let's be really fluid and agile with it and move it across the channels depending on what's working and if we hadn't got those strings to our bow we hadn't done that MA activity it would have been a bit you know well, you could work with this guy. We don't know them very well. Take take the money and go somewhere else. And I think that's that's why I think there's there's, there's going to be a huge amount of M and A over the next um, um, six twelve months from from both a position of strength and also a position of weakness. Because if you know, you're losing your clients and you need a safe harbour, you're going to be looking around. And and also if you if you're optimistic and growing but feel you need to add a bit more expertise in different channels. There's some great deals to be done. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. I'm, I'm curious about the psychology of sending that email out on a Sunday. I think that's quite, <laughs> quite interesting. Gives people something to think about. Um, in our last episode, uh, we talked to an in-house practitioner who was um, involved in a, in a Twitter rant about the fact that agencies and agency staff fail to understand what it's like working in-house. You've obviously done both. Um, how important is it, do you think, to, to hire people or to have an appreciation of, of what it's like to sit on the inside um, within within the client? Yeah, I also, my wife is a head of PR in-house. So, so I've, I'm, now that's got to be a good, yeah, 
Yeah, no, this has got to be a good uh, kitchen table banter uh, uh, in, in the Walker kitchen. What, what's that like? Agency V in it really, It's been really tricky over the last sort of few months because I overhear all these Zoom calls. I often interject, <laughs> say, say the, the in-house PR team where she works know me quite well because <laughs> so, like, I might be going to make a cup of coffee and I was like, that's just a load of bollocks and I'll come round and say what I think and then disappear. <laughs> Get back to your caravan. Yeah, they love oh, you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's done in a fun way, but yeah, I can't, I just can't sit there and listen to something that's just a load of crap. So I have to sort of correct them if I think they're wrong. But um, the other is she's running a big pitch process at the moment for quite a big consumer PR tender, which obviously we can't be part of. And I helped put the shortlist together. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, I think, I think the in-house experience is really valuable. And I did listen to uh, some of your last guests. And, um, you know, when I was at Amazon, it was a, I went from being quite a naive agency person with very little commercial um, experience to sitting in sales meetings every day um as 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 part of the marketing team and 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 understanding the impact you were having between the decisions you were making and and the revenue that was coming through amazon.co.uk at that time i mean they they are very sales led but they were at that time hugely sales led organization so for me it was a it was a really valuable um experience but yeah i mean i think there's huge different challenges different stakeholders um egos you know i I, I, I don't I don't think I've got the patience to to be in house in the same way that my my wife can do that job. You know, she's 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 very good at that sort of stuff. Whereas I'd be a little bit more sort of dismissive of people that I didn't necessarily. She's looking now. She's <laughs> get her on the pod. Get her on the pod. Bring her on. Bring her no, on. She doesn't want to. <laughs> Is she shaking her head? She likes her anonymity, but you could probably find on me. We've got to be very careful. Um, one of the things you did say earlier, Jim, though, the fact that um, PR can sometimes appear like we're doing exactly the same thing that you were doing back in 1996. Do you think um, PR and PR practitioners are lacking creativity, lacking originality, um, or is it just that there are certain things that work and people then just repeat them time and time again? I don't, I don't think we're lacking creativity. I see some really good creative thinking. I think it's about... And you know we were that we were in the same thing, right? But we decided to go on a slightly different journey because we believed that creative could travel further or have an impact, a better impact on on the on the client's business. And, and that's the problem I still see is that you know in the same way there were hot five or ten hot agencies in ten years ago, five years ago, fifteen years ago. It's exactly the same again, and and I don't see a huge amount of difference. Um, and I guess the, the trouble is this is why you, you know I've been working in this industry for twenty years. And, there is no such thing as a new idea. I see the same stuff yeah. over and over again. And, um, you know, even within a five-year cycle, I'll see brands, churn, not, no, different brands churning out the same story. But actually, to be fair, still getting really good results. <laughs> and, and, yeah, maybe, maybe it's because all the journalists don't bloody remember that this, is a, this isn't a particularly creative idea. <laughs> it's been done so many times. But, you know, it's, it's not their fault. If it gets good results, it gets good results, right? But um, I personally wouldn't want to be in the business of just churning out the same old shit all the time. There's only so many things you can float down the Thames. I have floated stuff down the Thames. And I, I think sometimes that gets a bit of a bad knock, actually. But, um, you, know, I, I th- you know, what we did actually did have a material impact on the, on the client's business. So... Um, yeah, we did it slightly differently. But I mean, I don't, I don't think you should throw all that out. I think it's still important. I still believe in PR and creative and, and, and images and video content and all that sort of stuff. I think it's brilliant, top of the funnel stuff. It's just then how do you then sort of drill, get people to come on that journey down so they actually buy something and then you can report back to the business that the work you did had, a, had an impact. That's really good. We just want to ask one more thing then before we b- before we finish. So you're you're incredibly driven. You're constantly looking for for things to to upskill, learn, develop, and uh, and exploit. What what does the future have for you, Jim? Um, well, you know, I'm I'm I am on a journey now with Reply, um, and that that is interesting for me because I'm being exposed to other ways of thinking and new technologies, which I never would have been able to have done before. Um, I'm also just become a, 
uh, trustee at Virgin Money Giving, which is great because, you know, they help tens of thousands of charities and their mission is to help those charities digitally upskill um, because a lot of fundraising is now moving into more virtual fundraising and less physical events, mass participation events. And, you know, the charities need some real help on that. And someone like Virgin Money Giving, which is a platform for fundraising, is in a brilliant position to really help um, charities of all sizes um, drive more donations digitally. So that that's that's exciting. Um, I'm also planning a trip to the South Pole, which is my my <laughs> my person. Now tell us tell t- tell us more of that. How, what what's 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 the uh, what's the drive there? Well, so I grew up reading Shackleton and Scott and Amundsen and all that sort of stuff, and um, um, so for me, it's like a personal sort of goal. And um, actually, I don't, I. I went for a walk the other day. On a, I don't know if you saw it on LinkedIn. I, was, I went on a conference call and went for a walk just to get out of the house. And I found myself walking next to Michael Palin. You know, ah. <laughs> you, know you know, the pole to pole series he did. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Love so this. I, I, I literally got off that conference call as quick as, quick as I could. I said, I literally said, like, Michael, you're the only person I know who's actually been to the South Pole. <laughs> <laughs> can I have a chat to you about it? <laughs> so I spent like 10 minutes and, talking about South Pole adventures and then got back on my quite boring. That's amazing. What 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 was his number one tip for traveling to the South Pole? Well, he said it was quite boring. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's not a lot to look at because <laughs> there's not much landscape, right? And just like my, I want to spend like eight days trekking to the South Pole. And literally, it's just man hauling your tent and your food. Um, it's more of a mental challenge than than a physical challenge, I think. And then you sort of get there, and then you fly out the day after, and you don't actually see much. Well, I was going to say, I think I, I think it's very important that you download all back episodes of the PR Hub podcast to help you on your journey. You could have one of those in <laughs> one of those. A bit. We did we did a we did a bit of a a a, a Twitter search for you. We couldn't seem to find your Twitter. Are you on? So I, I came off and I don't miss it at all. I, ju- I just found it was like an echo chamber of the same old people saying the same old stuff. And then I also found myself like one Saturday in a Twitter argument with someone when I should have just been hanging out, having fun. Uh, Peppa Pig world. Yeah. And I just thought, you know what? Fuck this. And I came off and um, I don't miss it at all. So if people do want to uh, social media stalk you, they have to do it on LinkedIn? LinkedIn. I, I sort of spent time on LinkedIn. So that's the best place to reach me. Yeah. Fantastic. Lovely. Uh, Jim, thanks so much for joining us. I know it was a very late start uh, this evening, but uh, really, really insightful. And and I think I think you've proved, uh, actually, Adam, Jim's proved tonight that uh, our, our strap line for the pod, sometimes sweary, always insightful. Bang on. Well, no, I was just, I was just, Parroting your your swear words, actually, you gave me permission. Uh, it's true, we did. It's true, we did. I, I, you, <laughs> I'm just doing it to fit in. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to uh, connect with Jim, you can't do it on Twitter because he's no longer on Twitter, but you can find him on LinkedIn. But you can follow John and I on uh, on Twitter. I'm at Adam Tuckwell. And I'm at John Wilcox underscore. And of course, uh, you can also follow the podcast on Twitter at PR Hub as well. Um, so stay tuned. We'll be back in a couple of weeks uh, with another interview. Um, who will we uh, Who will we be talking to? I can't even speak properly because it's so late. Who will we be talking to uh, or with? Um, find out very soon. And until then, thanks very much, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.